many times in our lives do we carry things from our past relationships, from past experiences, and we carry them with us knowingly, sometimes unknowingly, into our next relationship or into other areas of our life that they should have never been carried into. I don't know about you guys, but I know you can probably at some point look back in your life and think, okay, I found myself on one of two sides of that table, maybe both. Maybe I was carrying something that really hurt me from the past. And at first, maybe I didn't realize it and it spilled over into my relationship. Or maybe you were sitting on the poor guy's side of that table thinking, what in the world is going on? So this poor guy's sitting there, he's having dinner with his wife. And all of a sudden, all these people start coming in and he's completely blindsided. He thinks it's a joke. He has no idea what's going on. And then he realizes, oh my goodness, this is for real in this situation. She's really got all this baggage she continues to carry with her. And that can be a him or her in that situation. And the enemy uses those things to destroy our life and destroy our relationships and what God intended for us. And so I'm going to come back to that video kind of at the end here. But I just wanted to tell you guys first, happy Valentine's Day. So you guys look awesome today. I tell you, I miss seeing you just here in person. And for all of you guys that are joining us Facebook Live, that's the end I'm usually on. I'm usually watching here with you guys through Facebook Live. And uh, I tell you, it's just amazing what God has been doing. But it's so good to get to see you guys in person. And thank you, Lord, for holding off the snow that's coming. So we're going to have snow here. That's why we're going to try and get, get out of here as soon as we can to beat that snow. But um, I tell you, God is so good. And I'm so excited to be here today because we are going to talk about passion. I don't know if you saw on Facebook, but the title of today's message is One Consuming Passion. I've heard people say before, you know, I wish I was, I was passionate about anything. I was excited. I was excited about anything anymore. They look at their kids and they see, you know, a little girl coloring in a coloring book. And you think sometimes, okay, I wish I was as excited as she is about that coloring book, about anything in my life. Has anybody ever been there before where you've just kind of lost that passion? You've lost that excitement. You lost what you used to have and you wonder where did it go? What happened to it? I remember when I was first saved, when I came to know Jesus, and I was so excited. I was so on fire. And then somewhere along the way, somewhere along life, I just lost that. I just lost what I had. Or you dated your husband and your wife, and you were so passionate about that relationship, and you knew they were the one that you wanted to spend your life with, and there was this excitement and this expectancy. You woke up every day ready to get off work so you could see them. And then somewhere, day after day, along the way, you wonder what happened to that passion. Has anyone ever been there before? You know, I think we've all been there if we were honest with ourselves in some area in our life. So we've all had those moments. And today, I'm excited because we are going to talk about getting that passion back. Because it's not a secret how to do that. It's in the Word of God. But the enemy has taken our world and taken what God intended, and he's turned it. And he's made it perverse, and he's made it lustful. And he's taken all of these traps and these snares to destroy our life because he knows That if we found that one consuming passion that we're going to talk about today, that God intended us to have from the beginning, that not only is there God passion behind that, but there is a power like you can't even imagine behind 
that kind of love and passion. So the enemy works in our world today through pornography, through trafficking, through all of these desires we have, whether they be sexual, non-sexual desires, but he works through those things because he's trying to distract us from the truth that God is so hard trying to break through because God knows that if you understand that one consuming passion, that there's power in that and that will change your life and it will change your children and it will change your relationship and it will ultimately change you. You won't have to manufacture excitement and happiness and passion. It will be there because it will come from inside of you. It will come from a God-given passion that he intended for you to have. Are you guys ready this morning to hear about that kind of passion? Who is sick and tired of this, this morning living a life not passionate about anything? Who is this morning? Amen. Amen. I am sick and tired in those areas and remember being sick and tired of those areas where I wasn't passionate anymore, where I really just, you know, some days just didn't care. That's no way to live life. Who wants to get up every day and go to a job that's okay and live a life that's okay and be in a marriage that's okay and have kids that are okay? And they're not excited. They don't have zeal. They don't have passion about anything anymore. That is no way to live. And God does not want us to live that way. Amen? So we this morning are going to break that. We're going to break that. And we're going to get that passion back that God intended us to have. And so I'm going to start this morning before I get too excited. I tell you, Cricket this morning getting up here, he did not do that in the first service. He really tried to throw me off with that whole knee brace thing. So anyway, um, and everybody knows he brought the fire up here because he just wanted to, you know, play with the, the fire. But he made a really good point in that the enemy will do everything he can to distract you in this world from the passion that he intended you to have. The enemy will take anything, because we're all different. We all have different things that we struggle with, but he knows, the enemy knows your thing. And he will take your thing, may not be somebody else's thing, but he'll take your thing, and he will try to use it against you at every turn that he has. Every insecurity that you have, he's going to pick away at it until he pushes you across that line into sin, into depression, into anxiety, into despair, because he knows that if he can trap you there, this one consuming passion that's got power behind it, that God intended, you won't reach it because he's got you trapped. And who is sick and tired today of being trapped? Amen. Amen. And so we are going to get into it this morning. So I want to give you guys a couple of examples here. And don't worry. Like I said, if you saw Facebook, it's going to be PG. We're not going to read out of Song of Solomon today. That's a different message. But I am going to give you some examples here of passion today. It says, my soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you. This In this parched, weary land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary. I've gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. Now that, I said this morning, is not a love letter from Cricket. That is David talking to God about how he he feels, his relationship with God. I'm going to go on, and that was out of Psalm 63. I'm going to read you Psalms 84, 2 through 3. I long, yes, I faint with longing to enter your courts, Lord, with my whole being, body, and soul. I joyfully, I joyfully look on living with you, Lord. Now, David here, constantly through the Psalms, we see him talk to God in this passionate way. His passion, his longing, his whole being 
is towards God because he knows the goodness of God. He knows the power of God. He knows who God is. How many of us here this morning know who God is? We know he's faithful. We know, but we don't have this David passion yet. Or maybe we had it, but we've lost it and we want it again. So we wake up. We know God is real. We know Jesus died for our sins. We know God is faithful that when we ask for forgiveness to forgive us, but we're not passionate about that anymore. Well, let me, let me tell you why the enemy is stealing your passion. Because the enemy knows that this next couple of scriptures I'm going to read to you, that if you found this David kind of passion, what that would do for your life, for your family, for your ministry, and for all those around you. So let's continue on here this morning. But, you know, sometimes before you talk about what something is, you have to talk about what it isn't. And so... This morning, um, it was a little bit quicker service, so Cricket did not come up and do that first part. But he explained really well what passion is not, what the world has made passion. But I'm going to give you a few scriptures here in the Bible, if that's okay. We're just going to run through them really quickly. But Matthew 5.28 says, if you are someone... If you have if you have thought of someone or looked at someone in a lustful way, um, you've already sinned in your heart. First Peter two eleven says, "Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from and look at this phrase: passion of the flesh, which wages war against your soul." See, there's a true war going on between the passion of the flesh and this one consuming passion I'm about to talk about. Think about what a war is. It's a constant battle. It's ugly. It's brutal. And one side, in the end, is going to win out. At the end of a war, somebody will have victory. And it's for us to decide who is going to have the victory in our life. Amen? Which side of this war are you on? Because this scripture says... Abstain from the passion of the flesh. It warns us that it wages war against your soul. First John 2.16 says, For all that is in the world desires the flesh. Desire of the eyes and pride and passion is not from the Father, but is from the world. So it tells you, then it goes on to say here, this fleshly passion is not from the Father. You don't have to question. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to say, is this okay? Maybe it's gray area. I don't know. If it's of the flesh, it's not of God. It's of the world. All right, and then one more. Galatians 5.24. He who belongs to Christ have crucified that flesh with its passion and desire. So anyone who knows Christ has crucified that flesh and has put it under the blood of Jesus. So not to say that we still don't struggle with things. We all struggle with things. We, though, as Christians, as followers of Christ, have the promise that when sometimes that consuming thing overtakes us, God is faithful and just. And as we learn and we grow in Christ, if we see ourselves going down one direction, we see ourselves going down that old road that we used to go down, at any point we can stop turn and say, God, help me in this area. And he is so faithful to do that. Amen. So those are the things it's not. So now in these next two scriptures, we're going to get into it. And you're going to want to like put these in your phone, write this down, because if there's a time that comes in your life where you are being consumed by these worldly passions, remember this, remember God's word and what God has said to you. So we're going to read three here together, but Psalms 69.9, it says, this is David, again, talking to God. It says, passion 
for your house has consumed me. And the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. So that's what David says to God, okay? Passion for your house has consumed me. In some translations, it says zeal. So passion or zeal. But go on down to Acts 13, 22, because I want you to see, we've heard David in the beginning in Psalms speak so passionately, more passionately than most of us speak in our everyday lives about God. And here it says he has passion that has consumed him for his house. But Acts 13, 22 says right off the bat, just hits it right here. God removed Saul and replaced him with David. Whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. And I'm going to stop there just a minute. So I want you to see what happens at the very beginning of this. God removed Saul. See, the people asked God for, for a leader, for a king. The people kept asking and kept asking. I like to say to the girls, you know, it's okay to ask for something, but don't whine for something because God wants us to ask him for things. God wants us to ask him when we have a request or something. But when we whine, when we repetitively ask over and over and over again, see, when the people did this here, God was, God gave them a king. They gave, he gave them what they asked for. He gave them Saul because they kept on and they kept on and they kept on. So they got a king, but they got Saul. But here in Acts 13, 22, God said, this was God's appointed man coming in here. And you're going to see this. It says, God removed Saul and he replaced him with David. That was God's man. Because, I want you to read on there, because he said, now God said this, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. And look at the next scripture. It says, he will do everything I've asked of him. Amen. And so, It's not that David was a giant killer. It's not that he was a handsome man because he was. It was not that he was this awesome psalmist. See, we look at all of those things, and it was never about the works that made him great. Amen? It was never about his works. It was about one thing. One thing. The passion that he had for God. See, he said, passion for your house has consumed me. I live for you. I breathe for you. And then God says, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. And it goes on to say, I will do, and he will do everything I ask for him. First, we have to have a passion for God above all else. We've got to find that passion that we once lost. And we're going to go into how to find that passion that we've lost here um, in the next few scriptures. Because then when we find that all-consuming passion, we get to that place where will we do everything that God asks for us? And so the next scripture after that, because look at this. This is not just for you, but this goes on generationally. It says in Acts thirteen twenty three, and it is one of King David's descendants, Jesus, who God promised to Israel. So see, this was God's man. He, had, he was a man after God's own heart. But not only that, he was going, in his lineage was going to come Jesus, the Savior. So whenever you find that consuming passion that the enemy is trying so hard for you to put your passions and your desires into other things, it's because he had a great plan for your life. He has an awesome plan for your life. And so David was chosen. David was a man after God's own heart. He did everything he said. But also, this kind of passion is for your kids and for your kids' kids because you never know who or what or who is going to come 
out of your lineage, who your child, who they're going to become in the Lord, what they're going to do on this earth, your grandchild, you don't know. But it's, it's in this passion that we have for the Lord that we see these things, these intentions that God has for us begin to come about. And I'm going to explain that. So we're going to look really quick, and I have a few scriptures here this morning that we're going to talk about that kind of love. Because we have to start, we say, okay, I get it. I understand we've got to have that passion, but man, it's been so long since I felt that kind of passion. It's been so long. The world has beat me down so much. I've just lost it. I don't know what to do next. Has anybody ever felt that way? See, that's, that's the enemy's plan. He sits back and he says, I just give them long enough time in this world. The world will beat them down enough that I won't really have to do very much. And that's his plan, is to trap you, to use social media, to use the TV, to use relationships, to use offenses, and to use things to slowly chip away at you and wear you down. So it doesn't have to look like this big, awful devil in your life. What it ends up being are these little things that begin to consume you piece by piece. And when it does that, you may think for a moment it's this awesome passion, but what it really is, is it's chipping away at that true passion that really gives you power, that God-intended passion. So let's look at what that's supposed to look like. Let's remember just a minute what love is supposed to look like, because the world has really taken love and what it's supposed to look like and has destroyed it for most of us at some point in our life, from a young age for some. So Deuteronomy 6, 5, it says, We've heard this scripture. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. There are songs about it. We've heard that part. But let's continue on in 6 here. It says, the commandments I give you today are to be on your heart. So those are just be on your heart. And it says, impress them on your children. It doesn't say train them in your children. It says impress, to imprint, to make sure your kids every day, and that scripture goes on to say, when you wake, before you sleep, wherever you go, that not just for you, but for your children, you are supposed to love the Lord your God with all your heart. Think of how David spoke. All your soul and all your strength. Why is that strength important? Because we will all lose our strength. We will all lose it. It doesn't matter. I don't care how strong you are or how strong we think we are. We'll lose our strength at some point. I've been there. I know we've all been there. And so when we lose that strength that we think that we have, the only hope we have is God. We may be holding on by a thread. And it says here, all you have to do, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. It doesn't say you have to have a lot of it. You just have to take what you have and give it over to God. And he is so faithful. Amen. Next, we're going to look at John four fifteen, And this lets us know, and I love this one because this one's going to talk about how we're supposed to love each other. And so 1 John, um, let's see, let's go to 1 John 4, 8. <clears throat> and we're just going to start right there, kind of pick up in the middle. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God show love among us. So here we go. He's going to give an example. He sent his one and only son to this world that we may live through him. This is not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son. So let's stop and look at that right there. It tells us what love is and what it is not. And what it says in the scripture is this, ultimately, as we approach relationships in our life, it's not about what's how someone else loves us. It's about how we love. 
So let me, let me back up again. Let's read that again. It says, this is how God showed his love to us. He sent his one and only son to this world that we may live through him. This is love. It says not that we loved God. So what that's saying, he didn't do this because you loved him. I think a lot of times in our relationships, whenever we enter that relationship, there's a certain expectancy or we hear, you know, relationship is give and take 50-50, you know, this and that. And a lot of times, in a lot of ways, that can be true. Relationship is give and take. But the truth of the matter is, true love is about how you love. You can't control how someone loves you. You can control how you love them. And what I mean by that is this. And anyone who's been in a relationship, who's been married any amount of time, I think we've been married now almost 16 years. And I can tell you, I can't even tell you how many times, and most of the time it happens this way, that one of us is acting in a loving way and the other one, you know, may not at that moment. And sometimes that, most of the time, is what can lead right into a fight at that moment. You know, somebody says something or does something, and bam, the spark goes, kind of like that gasoline, and then there it goes, you know. And then you end up feeling just defeated, feeling bad, feeling angry, all these emotions, all these feelings come up, and the enemy's like, yep, I got you, you know, there. Now you're going to have to take all this time making this situation right because of what happened. Anybody been there? Amen. So, but when we talk about this love, like in Deuteronomy, what it is is, try this out. It's not something we're going to say to each other. And I know we've both done this at times. It's not anything you say. It's the action that we do. We love. So what that means is you walk in that situation next time. Someone's not having the best day. Maybe they snip at you or something, you know. They, they say something. They're trying to kind of pick and make you mad. And you just either walk away from that situation or you say, I love you. And, you know, you show them love without expecting anything in return. And you walk away from that situation. And it's through your actions, not your words. Watch what happens. Because I tell you, any time, if you've been one to fight back and forth over things and you do that, that other person's going to be like, whoa, wait, what just happened? You know? And the, the action starts to change them. So that's, that God shows us there that type of love. So, um, and John 4 15. So we're also going to look, let's go to Matthew. And I did not write all of these down. I had so many this morning that I put them in my phone. So I'm going to turn over here. We're going to go to Matthew 6, 21 through 24. It says, for, oh, this is the scripture about for where your heart is, there your treasure is also. And so I, I mentioned that this morning, and I kind of cut it short to that just first line. But we see this scripture, and a lot of times when we think of treasure, we talk about, um, you know, money or time or different things. And that's very true because you'll find that where you put what you value is the direction that you're going to go. So if you put it into the things of God, if you put it into his kingdom, into his ministry, into those things, you're going to follow in that direction. But if you take your treasure, your resources, your time and all those things, and you put them into the world, that's what you're going to follow into because you're going to follow that thing that you feel value in. And so, but it goes on to say here, the light of your body is in your eye. Therefore, the single eye, the whole body shall be full of light. But if the eye is evil, the whole body shall be full of darkness. And see, that's a trap. And and Cricket mentioned that, and I'm not going to touch on that a lot this morning, but it's the trap of the enemy. It's those subtle things that pop up in our life. If we can get our eyes focused on what God has for us, and we can get our eyes focused, the rest of us 
will follow. But if we put our, like it said here in verse 23, but if the eye is evil, the whole body will be full of darkness and therefore the light. And it goes on to talk about the darkness. What that means is the more we see that dark thing, the more that we see that thing that God didn't intend, the more it will begin to consume us and it will consume us and it will take even more to get it out. Amen. Has anybody ever been there? Maybe it's not even something we think of less, but it's a hobby or something. And it begins to consume us and it begins to take over our life. And we find ourselves spending a lot of time in that thing we do that thing and before we know it we have left out or pushed aside our family our friends our kids and it takes a lot to get back out of that once you've gotten so far into that but amen god is faithful though at any point we decide to turn he is faithful amen so this morning kind of like in our video this morning where we started we're going to talk about that and we're going to talk and we're going to kind of end today with where we started so we looked at that guy and i don't know if the people i don't think on facebook could see the video but if you didn't i'll tell you really quick so the guy's in a restaurant with his wife it's valentine's day they're sitting there she orders all of this food she says she's expecting he thinks it's a baby and then boom All of these past relationships, high school boyfriend, and I don't even know who the other three were, come into the room. But they were all something from her past. And she said, but I love you most of all, but this is all a part of me, right? So everybody in here saw that this morning. And we talked about how we carry all of this baggage with us. But let's just not talk about our baggage as in our past. Let's talk about the baggage the world carries today. Amen? See, that's the thing right now. What we see in this world is what's holding us back from our one true passion. All of those distractions. And I want to turn now because I want to give you an example. We've decided and we've determined and we know, looking at David and what God said about David, that he is to be our one consuming passion and what that looks like and everything else will follow. But let's look at where... Where the world gets it wrong, and let's look here in the scripture where the world even then got it wrong. And what God intended and what Jesus said was different than how the world saw it. So we're going to look at John 2, 18 through 22. So here we're looking at some Jewish leaders. They had built this beautiful temple. How many times do we build things in our life that we think are so awesome and we take pride in and we have all of this and we we've spent time doing it maybe it's our job maybe it's something that we we just treasure it and we built it and we put all this into it so that's what these jewish um jewish leaders did here so let's read this but the jewish leaders demanded them talking to jesus what are you doing if god gave you authority to do this show us a miraculous sign and prove it so they were saying prove it okay so this is what jesus said he said all right Destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. This is what Jesus said. Red letters, what Jesus said right there. It went on. Then the Jewish leaders went on to say, what? It has taken 40 years to build this temple, and you can rebuild it in three days? So they're saying, look, we, a whole group of us here, built this awesome thing that took 40 years, and you're telling me that you can rebuild this in three days. And this is what Jesus said. But when Jesus said, this temple... He meant his own body. And after he were to raise it from the dead, his disciples remembered what he said, and they believed both in the scripture and in what Jesus said. So what it goes on to say here is the world, or these leaders thought he meant build this temple, this shrine, this building. But what he really meant, what Jesus was saying here, destroy this temple. 
and I will raise it in three days. That's his body. Amen. That's where he died for our sin, and he rose again so that we can be forgiven. See, a lot of times the world wants you to think that this thing that you think it's about over here, the thing that you have poured your time in, is where all of the greatness is. But what Jesus is really saying, look, you haven't given much time to it, but really the secret, the power is over here in this thing. Because the power was really in the resurrection blood of Jesus. Amen? It was not in any temple or shrine that we could build. And this thing over here gets so big, it was 40 years of building that they couldn't even listen enough to believe. They, they called him on it. They said, three days, there's no way. And he was like, look, you're not even understanding what I'm saying here. You think it's about this, and it's really about this. How many times do we think something is about something it's not even about? Amen? I, that is a trap of the enemy. And let me show you a today trap of the enemy. Let me show you a today trap that we are living in. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you on this because it challenged me for so many years. All right? So, everybody quiet. No raising hands here. But if this gives you a little, uh, when you first hear it, it's the enemy. It's, it's the trap. Okay? So, I'm going to show you a trap that the enemy lays for us in our relationships today that the enemy uses because we do not understand this scripture sometimes some of us do but we don't the world does not understand the scripture the way god intended it and the enemy uses it from the very beginning first sentence almost to get you to turn it off and quit listening all right so see if you get a feeling when i read this let's see we're going to go to again in my phone sorry guys let me pull this up here all right, we are going to go to Ephesians 5 this morning, and we are going to go to, let's see, okay, we're going to go to Ephesians 5, it's going to be 23 through 31, so it says, Christ is the head of the church, he's the savior of the body of the church, as a church submits to Christ, so shall wives submit to your husbands in everything, Somebody out there on Facebook just got a feeling. Somebody just got a feeling when they heard that, that verse scripture. But it's okay. Don't, don't turn it off. I'm going to finish. I'm going to explain here. Okay. That's what the enemy wants you to do. He wants you to shut it down right there. All right. So Cricket used to come in and aggravate me to death with that. You're supposed to submit, of course, joking, or I would have killed him back then. But no. But that is something that the enemy has used to get us to turn off the rest of this. Right? All right, so don't turn it off. We're going to finish. All right, so number 25, Ephesians 5, 25. For husbands, this means love your wife just as Christ loved the church. He gave his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed in the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as as glorious as the church did, without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. Instead, she be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love your wife as you love your own bodies. All right? Now, women, we may not understand what that means fully because we're a woman. God made us a woman, but God made men men. And any man in here can tell you it can sometimes be a challenge because men and women have different struggles, different challenges, different things that we deal with. And I'm not going to group all men into one category of struggle. Everyone struggles with something different. But I can tell you this, for anything that says that you are supposed to love more than you love your own life, that means putting down the things that you desire as husbands. 
See, the scripture first, we think the enemy uses that to say submit and everybody turns it off. But do you realize in that one scripture at the beginning, it gives women one line and it gives men all of that after it. Because, see, for them to love you, ladies, more than they love their own life, to make sure you're without blemish, that means to speak good of you, to present you holy, to say good things about you, to affirm you, to love you, to make sure that you're treated in the way that Christ loved the church, that God intended. See, this was to create true love and a balance. And the world is going to take that and they're going to say, if you follow that scripture, they're going to say that you're against women and it puts you down and it does all this, but it doesn't. What this does is it creates a God-given balance for that passion to come about. Because, see, in that opening scripture, in that part where it says, and we're going to back it up, we're going to read it again, where it says... um, As the church submits to Christ, wives submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means you are to love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave his life for her to make her holy and clean. You're supposed to give everything you have for your wife, just as Christ did the church. That means if you want to say something that's going to hurt her, you're not going to do it. You're going to put down your own flesh. That means if you're going to put something before her other than God, you're not going to do it. You are going to turn your life over. He did this to present her to himself as glorious church without spot or wrinkle or blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. And what that means is when we, when we operate in this balance, now if we have one without the other, that's where the balance gets off. And that's where the hurts come in. And that's where the destruction comes in. And that's where the world sees the scripture. They only see their side of it. But remember what Deuteronomy said? We are supposed to love as God loved us. We're supposed to love because we love, not expecting anything in return. So when a husband and a wife, and look, I know nothing's perfect and no day is perfect. And there are those days where we do not operate in the balance of as Christ loved the church. But if we could, when we do, that's where we see the beautiful thing. Because really, that act there if submission is protection, is protection for that wife. And the reason it's protection is because at that point, when he's operating as God said, he loves her, he'll lay down his life for her, he'll protect her, he'll speak good of her, he won't come at her in anger, he won't do anything to hurt her. And when you have that, then, ladies, you are submitted over to him because you trust him. It's like God said to David, he's a man after my own heart, but he'll do everything I've asked of him. And so when we operate in that way, what happens with that, that scripture there with submission is it's just protection. It's protection because we know he has our best interest at heart. He will lay down his life for us. He will do that for us. And that's the way God intended. The reason if you get that mm, at that scripture is because you have not experienced that kind of love in your life or you've been hurt or you've been put down, or you've been beaten, or you've been abused, or you've been talked to in a way, and the enemy has used that relationship to make you hate that scripture because you think that scripture means bondage. You think that scripture means you have to go under somebody, and you don't like it. But that's not what that meant. Just like the Jewish, the people building that temple thought it meant something, it didn't even mean Jesus was talking about his own body, his own sacrifice, but they were over here thinking this. The enemy does not want the world to experience that perfect love or that perfect marriage. 
There's no question that there is attack on marriage in our world today. There's an attack on family. But if we can look at how God intended it in that scripture, for a man and a woman to live together in a way that first puts God first and at the center of our marriage, but then also that he would truly lay down his life for his wife. He would truly love her. He would truly affirm her. He would truly not break her heart. He would truly protect her with everything he has and her reputation and her life. Then, ladies, I want to see hands this morning. How many of you could go to the beginning of that scripture and submit to that and say, I'll follow you to the ends of the earth when you have a man like that in your life? Amen. And is that not how God intended it? Amen. And so today... I just want to kind of come to a close here today because, see, in the beginning of that video, she had all this baggage that she thought was important. She had all these relationships that she somewhat held on to. She couldn't let go of, and she pulled them in to her husband and their relationship, right? She was carrying all this baggage. So first, to get our passion back, what we have to do is we have to lay down that baggage. Amen? That's the first thing. But then what we do next is we go to God and we say, and we're going to do that here this morning. We're going to say, God, I miss living a passionate life. I truly miss having a zeal for life. I miss what it was like when I first got saved. I miss what it was like when I had passion, when my life was almost destroyed, when destruction was at my door, when I got a cancer diagnosis, when all of these things were against me. I miss that passion of coming to you and having no other, nothing in my life but you to save me. Amen. I miss that passion. I miss the passion I once had for my marriage. I miss the passion of meeting that person I knew I'd spend the rest of my life with and knowing they were the one and waking up every day and not being able to wait till I got off work to go see him. I miss that passion. I miss it and I want it back so bad. I don't want to live a boring, mundane life anymore. It's not good enough for me. And God, I heard you today. I heard you say, I know you said that you want my love and my passion to be consumed in you first. So today what we're going to do, no matter if you're watching from home or if you're here in service, We are going to say, God, forgive me for where I am today. And we are going to put things in alignment. And we're going to put things back right. Because we all have those things. And there's no shame in that. Shame is from the enemy. Shame is the thing that stops us from going to God and saying, forgive me. So don't you live with shame in your life this morning. God never intended for you to live in shame. So don't do it. Don't do it anymore. There is nothing for you to be ashamed of because of the blood of Jesus. Amen. So we'll all stand together here today. And if you want to come forward to these altars, you can. But I'm going to pray a prayer. And I am going to just ask God this morning, if you're here today and you are tired 
of just living the same old life every day. And you want your passion back. I don't care if it's passion in your marriage, passions in your life, your job, your kids, where you are or coming for this morning. We're about to pray together and believe God and know God will bring that passion back. Amen. Because his word says he will. He's our one consuming passion. And once we have that right, we will have that passion back in every area of our life. So God, we just come to you now, Lord God, and we just ask you, Lord, forgive us, God, for losing that passion and that desire for you, God. Forgive us for losing that passion that like David had, that passion that we once knew that we come and we said, thank you, God, for just being alive today. Thank you, God, for saving me. Thank you, God, for making me whole, Lord. God, we just ask you to forgive us for forgetting who you are, God. God, we just come to you today humbly, Lord, and we just say we want that passion back, God. We want that zeal back. We want the passion that we once had and more passion than we've ever had, God. And so we come to you today, Lord, and we just turn it over to you, God, and we say, God, we love you. God, we turn our life over to you, God. We follow you, God. We love you, God. You're our source. You're our hope. You're our love. You're our everything, God. God, you're our everything. We are nothing without you, God. Our life is nothing without you. We can't make it another day without you, God. We will never make it through what we're going through without you, Lord. And God, now we ask, Lord, for our marriages today, God. God, we ask and we pray, God, over our marriages that you will bring that passion back that we once had. Not that fleeting, lustful, worldly passion that the world has, but the true desire and passion like no other. That true lay down your life passion that nothing else matters but laying your life down for your wife and and submitting it to your husband and trusting him. Trusting him with your life because you know he wants the best for you, that he would give his life for you, God. We just pray now over every marriage here and every marriage listening, God, that you bring in that balance, God. That balance that was the God created love of a marriage, that you are the center, God, of that marriage, that you are the center that that creates a marriage that you intended, that the enemy is trying to steal from this world, God. Lord, and now, God, we just come to you, Lord, humbly, as a people, as your people, God, as your children. And Lord, we just ask you, Lord, to heal us, God. Heal us today where we're broken, God. Heal us from the depression, the doubt, and the anxiety of life, God. We ask you to take what the enemy has stolen from us, the passion and the excitement that's led us down the road of depression and anxiety and all of these things, God. And we ask that it be lifted now, God, in Jesus' name, that you're restoring it, God, God, for your glory, but that people will be made whole that are once broken, that those struggling with physical issues will be made whole because of your miraculous power, God. God, we are a people that in most areas of our life, we have no hope but for you. And sometimes we forget that, God. But today we ask your forgiveness and we remember that we would be nothing without you. 
And God, we just thank you, Lord, today, Lord. And God, now we just pray. And if you are someone here this morning who God has touched your heart in some way, who God's been tugging on your heart this morning, God, I just ask that you come forward this morning and you just turn it over to God. And and Leah's going to play now. And we are just gonna we are just gonna pray and we are gonna turn it over to God and we are gonna make a statement as we leave this morning on this Valentine's service and we're gonna say, God, we put you first. So in this moment right now, if God is speaking to you in some way, if you are ready to say, God, you are my one consuming passion, where you are, or come forward and just say, God, I give it to you. In Jesus' name, amen.